0: Hi there, it's Doogie here from the Trucking Driver podcast. This episode contains details about serious injuries sustained in a road traffic accident involving a lorry and a motorbike and may potentially be distressing to some listeners. Hello and welcome to the Truck and Driver podcast. I've got a very special guest with me today, uh, Colin Duffy, who is a retired sports development officer who has an enormous involvement with setting up charities over the years. He's currently involved with Disability Motorsports Scotland, is an incredibly inspirational person who... um, Encountered a lorry um, in a manner which very few people do. Um, he almost died uh, during an accident uh, back in 1984. And yeah, Colin, I'll bring you. I'll bring you in now. This is a, an unusual episode of the podcast. Really, what I want it to be is a bit of food for thought for drivers, um, but also um, a kind of source of. A, um, to get people thinking and to inspire people as well, because I think what you've done is really incredible uh, with the way that you've um, pushed on and really made the most of things. And battled against you know terrible life-changing injuries. Yeah. So um, if you want to start if you want to start us off yeah, no whatever you like, because yeah. I think this is gonna be quite a long interview, a lot of interesting <laughs> it's gonna, gonna go off in a lot of different and interesting places. Well thank you. Well thanks very much, Dougie, first of all, for giving
1: me the opportunity to come along uh, today and have a wee chat with you, uh, and especially to the, the, the truck and driver magazine. Um, I'm supposed to take you back to 1984 and um, before that I was just your average run of the mill guy, 20 year old um, and like everything in life it's all down, down to seconds and it just so happened that we were on a roundabout I was in the back of my mate's motorcycle, um, weren't even moving so it's not like we were speeding or anything like that car pulled out in front of us which is normal that happens every day to a biker and unfortunately for us there was a gentleman in a truck um, a very large truck uh, who basically didn't see it and he was going a bit fast but probably because he had 40 tonnes of ore in the boot or whatever during the coal strikes of 1984 it was I won't mention the name of the truck company Um, and basically he went into the back of the motorcycle at quite a high speed probably 40 to 50 miles an hour um, yeah, I don't want to kind of make it a very very sad story it's not mm-hmm. a sad story I hope it is an inspirational story mm-hmm. but the the lorry didn't see the bike the bike wasn't moving we were stationary at the roundabout at the junction um, waiting for the chap in the car to pull away um, but the lorry hit the back of the motorcycle uh, catapulting me some 20, 30 feet in front of the lorry, as it did with my mate who was riding and driving the bike. He went, he hit in the armco in the barrier and bounced onto the grass and rolled over and had no injuries at all, apart from a very minor sprain in his ankle. I went up into the air and landed on the road, uninjured. And I rolled over and sat up, facing forward, thinking, this is a matter of seconds. Oh my God! I am still alive! And then I looked over my shoulder and sadly he was still coming. He wasn't able to brake due to the level of weight he probably had in the boot, I don't know. And he ploughed right into my back and I got pushed down flat onto my face under the bumper. Went under the bumper, got rumbled around underneath. And I know that every lorry driver will know this. There's not a lot of room under a lorry, especially the bumper. And I went under the bumper, um, my right leg basically got flipped up and got trapped between the chassis and the exhaust. Dragged me along for a distance till it pretty much snapped off. And then when I came loose from under the lorry, I then rolled, lucky white heather, rolled to the outside. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he then ran over both my legs, what was left of them, with the rear wheels. When he came to a halt, I was trapped under the rear three... I don't know what you call them, but the last yeah, it's, three... It's, it's wheels of yeah. the trailer, yeah. yeah wheels mm-hmm. of the trailer. God love him. He panicked. He absolutely panicked. I was lying on my chest underneath the lorry. Wasn't really in a panic as because I was probably in total shock at that point. Lying on my chest, and I remember clearly... Uh, the roundabout, it was the Belfield roundabout in Carmel, a big roundabout all the cars were stopped and everything was stopped, they couldn't move anything because I was, under, I was trapped underneath it nobody knew what to do and I remember somebody shouting OMG or was to that effect, oh my there's, there's somebody under the lorry oh. and I remember clearly like I'm talking to you, I remember a lady shouting, oh my bleep, where's that boy's leg and I remember thinking, oh my God, there's somebody else underneath the lorry with me. And then Jamie looked under the lorry and basically collapsed. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, wait a minute, I was the only person under the lorry. And that's when I realized that my leg or legs were extremely badly damaged. I was trapped under that lorry for goodness, about 40 to 50 minutes until the ambulance, the fire crew decided to get the big pneumatic balloon things. Mm-hmm and they basically tipped the truck over, not right over, but enough, and they dragged me out. At that point, I had a cardiac arrest uh, and basically died under the lorry. Put me in the ambulance. uh, I was really lucky. I mean, there's two ways to look at my crash. The worst day of my life, or the luckiest day of my life. And it's about mindset, and it's about how you perceive it, because if I'd had my crash, at 6.30 p.m., I would have been dead. If I'd had my crash at 9.30, I would have been dead. But because I had it roughly 8.30, I survived. And why was that? That's because I was right round the corner from Crosshouse Hospital and all the nurses and doctors that were heading to their what? Work, working round and round about. So I had nurses and doctors and firemen and policemen and everybody else I could need trauma wise under that body mm-hmm. with me mm-hmm. doing all the work they had to do I, so I, I can't thank those no services enough, got me to Crosshouse Hospital where I, I more or less went into a coma, um, and I then spent pretty much a year and a bit in hospital with right leg off, uh, eventually the right leg did come off completely um, surgically, uh, it was Removed traumatically, but ultimately they did the surgery in the hospital. Took my right leg off, kind of put my left leg back on because it was hanging off, um, which I still got, by the way, and that's due to the NHS and the incredible surgeons that are there. So spent over a year in the hospital, got out of the hospital, kind of tried to take my own life. Uh, ultimately, I just thought, I can't live like this. Thankfully, for, to me, I've got an incredible family, incredible friends, and they kind of slapped me about the face for most of the time. And I and then started to understand I could get better, hopefully. Went into the ALSA psychiatric hospital for day release, kind of thing. Um, and that's when I got involved in charity work. Uh, when I came out of the ALSA, I, I, I kind of stood in a bridge, let's just say, and I had the, the, made the decision I was going to jump. I didn't jump and I'm grateful to whomever, wherever, whatever stopped me for doing that but from that point in my life I thought if I don't jump off this bridge then I better do something decent with my life Mm -hmm. and that's when my my dad and my friends and stuff came to the bridge, got me, dragged me away and I ended up in a psychiatric hospital for a short time, six months or so Um, and that leads me to Today where my, my life
0: is wonderful, frankly. Yeah. Cause I mean I suppose that moment, if you look back from so the perspective of the lorry driver, you know, he would have been doing that same job probably week after week, month after 100%. month, and the cold strikes were on as well. It was a stretch full time yeah. and they were expected to run at high speed and things like that. Yeah. But you just think it won't happen to me. Yeah. That that I'm never gonna do anything like that. But things do happen and they continue to happen to this day. Absolutely. And obviously there has been enormous advances in driver training and truck safety, but mm-hmm. accidents do continue to happen to yeah, this day. For sure. Which is why I think it's so important to talk about it mm-hmm. and to just plant that seed to get drivers to think, you know, Yeah. Well it can just it, it only takes a second mm-hmm. to completely change things for life. For and for sure. that driver, I mean obviously there was of enormous fundamental change, not only in your physical health but your mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Two things going on with that as well. The guy that's done that in the lorry as well. I mean, I can only imagine that's he's carried that for the rest of his life. And anybody that's been involved in an accident Mm -hmm. of that nature Mm -hmm. will carry it for the rest of their life as well. I think
1: it. I think for me, I can't say this for everyone. I can only speak for me, but I think one of the things which has allowed me to live a full life and to look out the window here into my back garden and see that beautiful blue sky and see those beautiful green trees, the fact that it's not all grey, is one of the reasons is because I never, ever hated that driver. Don't ask me why. He didn't get up that morning with the intention to crash into anybody and potentially kill them. Who would? He wouldn't. So I've never been of the belief that he that was intentional. I've never been of the belief that that, that he went out that morning and, and was negligent, if, if you like. He made a mistake. Mm-hmm. He made a mistake, and that was born out in the court, but he made a mistake. But that guy has had to pay for that for nearly 40 years, just like me. Maybe not in the physical sense, like what I've lost, mm-hmm. but I don't doubt, I don't doubt there have been days in his life where he's probably stopped mm-hmm. at that roundabout or driven round it like I still do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes I get a shiver. Sometimes when I go right over the spot that I was lying on, oh, I mean, it, it can, depending mm-hmm. on your mindset, it can take you to another place. So I don't doubt he's had to have that. And also, let me tell you, not just him, all the other people that were stuck in that roundabout to see yeah. a person trapped under mm-hmm. wheels and bits of them
0: already off. Yeah. I can't even begin to imagine that. Well, when you said, I mean, it was so important that there were people from the health service, yeah. nurses and doctors there. Absolutely. Because I can guarantee you, I can't stand the sight of blood. Ugh. And I know a lot of people... Don't I know like some hard, tough guys, yeah, that, yeah, you know. And if they, if they see somebody who cuts a finger on a Stanley blade mm-hmm. cutting carpet, they're going over, yeah. So that uh, you're, you're right, it's a, uh, to go and encounter something like that as well mm-hmm. can leave an indelible mark, on indelible. Them. But you know what? A lot of
1: people, you know, people say to me, you oh, know, man, that must be the worst day of your life. Mm-hmm. It absolutely wasn't. I cannot. Believe that was the worst day of my life because I'm sitting and talking to you with a beautiful wife of 32 years and two brilliant children, two sons, 13, 29 and a loving family and friends. So it's all about perspective. It was a bad day, but it's not what happens to you that makes you, it's what you do with it that makes you and you can either sit back or you can go forward and I chose to go forward. Mm-hmm.
0: Did, you, did you feel it was like you had a sort of an epiphany at that point, like, 100%. Something like flipped a switch in you? 100%. Like something, you know, yeah. You'd found something in you that was
1: going, yeah. no, I'm not going to. No, definitely. I think I've had three, two or three cardiac arrests mm-hmm. um, and I had, a, I had a cardiac arrest not long after the crash. Uh, I don't know when it was, it was in the hospital. and. Um, and for those of you that, that wonder what that is and feels like, you know that when you say you see the white light and you see yeah. an angel and stuff like that, I can tell you that when I lay in that bed, my entire family were around me. Um, I was extremely ill at the time. I, w- I was close to death, for sure. Um, and then I had a respiratory failure, cardiac arrest, the whole shooting break. A heart attack. Yeah, yeah. the whole shouldn't break. Um, and I can categorically tell you, sitting here in a clear Compass meant to stay Mm -hmm. that I absolutely remember being above me, Mm -hmm. looking down at me and my entire family. And I remember I'm talking to you now saying, Mum, I'll be back in a couple of minutes. I'll be back. Mm -hmm. I did come back. Mm -hmm. um, And that's when they they decided, frankly, that my leg had to come off Mm -hmm. because it was causing so much gangrene and gas Mm -hmm. gangrene and other things. It
0: must be Um, be causing um, stress on your entire body.
1: Yeah, I've had so many injuries. I could not and would not bore you with the all the big physical bits that came up, the legs, etc., etc. Fair enough, but pretty much all my fingers broken, broken arm, broken elbow, fracture to the skull. God, no, I mean just
0: oh no, I'm not boy with that. Mm. Um, well, they say a lot to do with physical injury, and the way that you heal has to do with your mental mindset as well and the determination that people have Mm -hmm. because you see it with things in medical trials as well where they can give people you know you see the placebo effect in trials and people if they believe that they're going to get if they have the belief that they're going to get better yeah then they can get better if you tell somebody that you know you are incredibly ill and you're going to die then they can start to think that i definitely believe in that I definitely believe in that. There's a big, psycholo- there's a big psychological yeah. effect to it.
1: Yeah, no question about that. And yeah. healing and like I think that. trauma, physical trauma, um that that comes to you instantly, not something that you've had to learn to get used to. But when it hits you, you you, you literally have a decision to make inside. And don't get me wrong, mm. I ended up in a psychiatric environment because I couldn't at the time but my epiphany and as you say was standing in a bridge and thinking this is the end
0: mm-hmm.
1: this is the end and I just for whatever reason just thought this can't be the end but as I say the positive part was deciding if I don't jump I better do something mm-hmm. decent with my life and I hope that over the last you know 38 years or so I've achieved that for for lots of different reasons and my charitable when I say charitable work I just mean going out of my way to help others is something that I that I want to do.
0: Well I've seen I've seen your C V and everything that you have done over the years and it's it's a phenomenal uh, volume and scope of work that you've done across a number of countries and a huge number of charitable organisations yeah. uh, helping people in so many different ways, which is something you continue to do to this day, uh, which we'll get onto in a bit. But we'll try and keep the story going mm-hmm. in a sort of chronological order, mm-hmm. as it? Well, um, so I mean, as you going beyond that, as you started to get a little bit better, as you, uh, getting getting on? When when you did you manage when you got home? Um, was there sort of like did you start off doing what sort of volunteer work and things? What was no. the first steps of moving towards what you would what you would call know. could you call it normality? Yeah. What would be- that, that was when the nightmare started. I didn't have a nightmare when I was
1: in hospital. I was getting three bed baths a day mm. from gorgeous nurses. <laughs> really? I mean and I didn't have to pay for it. it Who's gonna point mm. about that? You know, I was I was very ill for a lot of the time, but then you're convalescing, you know, you're you're in the hospital, but you've got doctors and nurses and people coming in and coming out, and you eventually become completely institutionalized. Of course you want to go home, yeah. But you don't actually know what that means. You, yeah. You'll go home and it's empty. Yeah, know, but it's not that even course. that. Dougie, you? mm. you're like you think you're going home the way you would go home before you had the accident. Like it's gonna really be the same. Mm. It's only until they see that you're going home calling and you're like, okay. Mm. Then you're like, wait a minute. So how do I get up the stairs? Yeah, we need to get you up the stairs into the house in a wheelchair. All right, but how do I get to my bed? My bed's upstairs. Yeah, we need to look at that. And then I'm like, all right. So wait a minute. If I'm upstairs in my bed, how am I going to get to the bathroom? It's downstairs. And then the panic starts to set in. And then the anxiety starts to think, wait a minute. How am I going to independently do that myself? So, you then get the call, they come and pick you up, put you in the ambulance, They take you to your house, I was staying with my parents at the time, took me into the house and I basically Mm -hmm. became a recluse for four years.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I actually gave up. I really, I I couldn't, I remember, I don't ask my wife, my wife will crack up, she's great with dates. I don't remember when it was, but I remember being upstairs and deciding, I'm going to the bedroom, I'm going to the bathroom on my own. I don't need anybody to help me. I've gone on my own and I fell downstairs, and I smashed my kneecap on the left leg that I've got. Mm. So I had to take my kneecap out, etc., cetera, to do, and have me back in hospital again. So I was a bit of an earning curve. But I then, I, you do start to have a little bit of independence, but before that comes, you become an absolute pain in the ass, frankly. Uh, I did. Mm. I would be like, mom, Mum, get me a cup of tea. Mm. Dad, dad, all of that. My, my darling wife, whom, as I say, I've been married to for, for 32 years, I think, 32, yeah, roughly. Um, I've known her since we were kids, mm-hmm. you know, and she basically, with all my family, but Julie kind of more or less has kept me alive for that amount of time. Um, she's a phenomenal human, um, great person, but she forced me, not until she didn't, she didn't force me. She came in one day and said to me, you really need to start thinking of other people, Colin, spending all day long thinking about yourself is not good for you (laughs) so she handed me a pamphlet a wee bit of paper to say here you go this'll this'll help you to get fit and it's a good wee thing for you to do and I was like what is it and I'll never forget it it was called the Israel experience and I thought my god we're going on holiday to Israel and she's like read it and I read it Mm. and actually what it was was cycling 250 miles around Israel to fundraise for people less fortunate than me, and I was like, Jillian, can't believe you gave me that, how can I possibly cycle a bike, I've only got one leg, and she said, you know something, in all the years I've known you, Colin, I've never seen you give up, find a bike, find a way of doing it, I was like, oh, it's okay, it's possible, I can't believe you did that, and I did find a bike in California. I'll never forget it This was 1994 I think 10 years roughly After the crash I'll never forget it It's called the Shadow Mark 3 (laughs) From America Top of the range Trike It was a kind of three wheeled thing Front wheel driven And Took my year to train Mm -hmm. Really And I trained enough To then get to cycle Go to Israel, And we did 300 odd miles Ultimately in 5 days I was only the only person in a wheelchair wrestler there in bicycles. Um, that was the start of my journey um, in terms of charitable work. Mm-hmm. It was quite incredible. I, I mean, to train, apart from, I used to train in my bedroom with a bike and a roller machine and just pummel away for hours and hours and end. How right. does a bike work? It's mm-hmm. just a hand crank. It's what they call a hand crank. You don't need your feet to pedal it. Mm-hmm. You pedal it with your arms, mm-hmm. sort it of up at your chest and then it's just a, a kind of circular remote, just like a, a normal. The, the pedals are not opposed, they're, they're together. Mm. So it's a one rotation with both arms. Um, and I was, I was training every day for a year um, and then eventually went to Israel and, I, oh goodness, what an experience that was. It really was to be there. Um, I was really lucky, again, I think using my disability to my advantage. Um I met three absolutely gorgeous nurses who took pity on me and thought, we need to help this guy. So they basically looked after me for five days, came around Israel. It was amazing. Uh, and I met, I, met, I met an amazing group of people. Um, I'm still in touch with two or three of them to this very day, believe it or not. Um, uh, big shout out to David Crawford, actually. He lives in, I do where he lives now. Great guy. Um, but... I think the volunteer work for me, the charity work, that's what kind of gave me the, I don't know what it gave me, it was a, something deep down inside me, made me realize, you know, there's actually still things you can do in your life mm-hmm. to help others, it's, it's mm-hmm. not just about me. Um, a motivation and purpose. Motivation mm-hmm. and purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and attitude and perception. Mm-hmm. My perception started to change about myself because up until then I was quite scared Mm-hmm. I was scared to go outside, I was scared to fall, scared to go out in a wheelchair, didn't want to look disabled, you know, that type of stuff. Um, and to give you, not anecdotal, to give you an experience um, that I had to go through, which again was part of a catalyst that this person doesn't know, mm-hmm. still to this day doesn't know, but it was a catalyst to make me realise... Um, a very great psychological principle called the effort principle. <laughs> right. Effort, effort uh, as in f use. Right. Effort principle. Um, because I was at a swimming pool. Um, you've seen my leg. Mm-hmm. You know it's maybe not the most attractive looking thing, and I've got no right leg. And I was swimming up and down. I used to do a mile most mornings to get fit. And I was sitting on the edge of the pool. I was quite happy. I was comfortable. I done my mile, I was getting ready to go out and I was sitting on the edge of the pool so my leg was visible I and all the mm. the scars were visible mm. and a lady walked up in the water and she said, excuse me, and I said, hello. And she said, look, sorry to bother you. She said, I hope this doesn't upset you, but is there any chance you could get back in the water? It's just the way that you looks upsetting my daughter. Good grief. So I ended up slowly dropping myself into the water where the, whereby I stayed for about three hours I couldn't leave the pool, couldn't get out mm-hmm. the water These people sat with me tried to help me and get me up and get me out mm-hmm. That was part of one of the reasons why I ended up in the airs I believe it or not So see that old adage, sticks and stones may break your bones, mm-hmm. and the names will never hurt you no, Absolute mean. beep that is It depends where you are in your life mm-hmm. When that kind of thing happens At that time I was very weak, now? I'd have headbutted her. Not really, but I would have told her
0: where to go. It's, it's, it's become more and more prevalent that in the age of social media and yeah. computers and things, because people can hide behind a screen yeah. or a phone and things, and you do get a lot of um, psychological... Trawling, uh, tra- etc., tra- et et tra- tra- et yeah. people don't have any consequences for, but for the people who are perpetrating it, but mm-hmm. you get a lot of people that who are badly, badly affected by it. I mean, what a yeah. terrible thing for the woman to do. Yeah, you know, but it, I
1: call it innocent ignorance. Mm-hmm. She didn't realise the impact that yeah. that would have on me. It was more about mm-hmm. how it was upsetting her daughter. But what she should have done mm-hmm. was said, is there any chance that you could explain to my I'm daughter what daughter. happened to you? Yeah. And, and I, I don't mind saying this on here. I've told so many lies over the years, mm-hmm. you wouldn't believe. Because a five-year-old child doesn't need to know I get run over by a truck. Mm. What they need to know is don't walk between two cars. Mm. That's their world. They don't normally run out in front of a truck, but cars will run out in the road and do all that kind of stuff. So tell little white fibs if it's pertinent or relevant to that child or that adult, frankly, if it's going to help them to make a better decision that day. Um, so, you know, but I, but as I say that's about attitude and perception. I'm a, I'm a 58 year old man now. Mm-hmm. Um, it still hurts. When I still get that on occasion, but I deal with it differently. I just try and educate rather than, you know, blast the person.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. That's a, It's a, um, That's one of the most difficult things to to overcome. I would imagine that. Mm-hmm that type of uh, sort of just offhand comment because it can come out of sort of anywhere and you wouldn't be set for it. You might not be expecting yeah. it. It can just catch you completely blindsided. I once met a young lady
1: who had Down syndrome and I was in a wheelchair and she walked up to me and she looked at me in the wheelchair without my right leg, completely gone. And she said to me, where's your leg? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, eh, um, uh, I didn't know what to say. I said, oh, I don't, I don't have it. Yeah, but where is it? Oh, I don't know. What happened to you? Oh, eh, eh, eh. And then I just said, oh, I got run over by a lorry. She went, oh, you get run over by a lorry. I went, ah, oh. she went, oh, she gave me a big hug. Mm-hmm. And I thought, God, let me so. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's no bad. I could live with that. Mm-hmm. That's no bad. I can live with that. She wasn't finished. Mm -hmm. 10 minutes later Mm -hmm. she came back to finish her comment and this comment she came away with I've never had since and this was 35 years later and she came up to me and said can I ask you another question I said sure what is it and she went what colour was the lorry (laughs) I mean really and that Mm -hmm. made me realise how unimportant Mm -hmm. this can be Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be my total life is being disabled. I can find other things to do and that's when the second epiphany happened mm-hmm. and that was Oddie, an old Palomino horse. But the horse is called Oddie. The horse is called Oddie. And I sat in the back of him in a charity called the RDA, Riding for Disabled Association. Thanks to my wife again and a, and a friend within the RDA back in the day, and they basically said, You're going horse riding. <laughs> and I was like, No, I'm not. There's no way you're getting me in the back of a horse. Not happening. And they put me in the back of this old guy, and he just trundled away with me in his back. And I was petrified in a way, in a way, I think I was. Mm. But see, after a few hundred yards, I remember thinking, Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. How did I get through the yard to here? Wait a minute, I'm not in any pain. Mm. How could I walk from there to here? The horse is walking for me. I need to keep this up. So I did. And I kept riding for years. And I'm now chairman of the Carry Group. And the riding for the Cereo Association. And I've also, for my sins, for my the absolute privilege, ridden for Great Britain in dressage. A uh, long, long time ago. Only happened once in my life, but... That once was enough. It was uh, the most incredible experience I've ever had. And again, ironically, that was in Israel <laughs> when I won my first international uh, dressage competition. Um, but not long after that, I then started, you know, as an adult, sometimes you have to work. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having to start, I started work as a sport development officer with South Ayrshire Council. And that was my working career from there. Along with all my charity work. But that was another incredible place to be. Uh, doing the sports development, what? Sports development, working with children and adult, adults with a disability, um, and that that's probably the most humbling thing that, you know, if, when my day comes, that'll be one of the things that I'll be able to sit, look back and say, you know, I, I tried my best there. I did my best um, to help others to get through their day. Um, and that that was quite unbelievable. I mean, as we speak, I've got a young friend. Um, I better not mention his name, but I've got a young friend in China as we speak uh, in the Paralympics, uh, Nordic skiing. You know who you are, Callum. Um, but, um, and I've, over the years, had the absolute humbling uh, opportunity to, to work with young people who are now Paralympians. Um You know, so I'm just a very, very lucky person. Um, I always try and look for the good in the bad. Try and find a glimmer. I mean, you can't see the light unless you're in the dark. Do you know what I mean? You know, you Mm. wouldn't see the light unless you're in the dark. So um, from a dark place, I try and bring people to the light. Um, And I think I've done that over the years with a number of different things.
0: Because I mean, I guess over the years you would have encountered people who've also... Uh, oh, so, absolutely. whether they've been born with, with disabilities or whether they've had life changing injuries absolutely. as well, who've had to go through go on their own journey as well. Absolutely. Who have been in a very kind of yep. low point and kind of dark place, but mm-hmm. you can hopefully bring them out of that yep. in the course of what you do with your, with your job. And I, I would imagine that would be, mm-hmm. you know, we've got an, an emotional and sort of humbling thing Without to bring out of that, aye? Without a doubt. I mean, if you're in a position where you meet
1: someone, and you ask them, are you involved in sport? And they say, no, I don't do sport because I'm disabled. Well, that to me, because I because I had done my voluntary stuff before I started my work, that gave me an insight. I had already had an insight as to what you could do. There was so much you could do. So I started working with people with disabilities in my paid employment, um, but parallel to my voluntary work. And that allowed me to, have a, a pretty decent insight into impairments, whether they're acquired or, or from birth, hereditary yeah. or, or otherwise. And, you know, when people come up to me and say, I can't do this because I always felt it was my job to try and give them an alternative view, mm-hmm. not to push them to it, just to say, well, did you know? And it's, it's about enabling. You know, I, I know that you hear a lot of people about enabling when it comes to negative things, but, you can be a positive enabler. You know what I mean. Uh, I got so many anecdotal things I could tell you here for days, um, but there are so many different things out there then and today um, that we can do. You know, you get the Paralympic mu- movement. You've got uh, Invictus, obviously for injured troops, etc. There's so many different things, but what they need is positive role models. They need people that they can see and witness that individual. Having a good life, and I'm not talking about you know winning the Paralympics or anything else really. I'm talking about living a normal life, achieving good things through a normal life, like not like just living, frankly, breathing. Everybody is so complacent about breathing today. You know, you go up in the morning, take a breath, you don't think about it. Mm-hmm. See tomorrow morning, mm-hmm. take a deep breath, breathe out, and see if you can breathe in and out more than once. Mm-hmm. That means you're alive. So whether the sun's shining or it's a rainy day, take a deep breath and say, OMG, I'm here again. I've got another day. You're joking. And get on with it. And enjoy it. You know, and find the good that you can do. That can be anything.
0: Absolutely anything. That's uh, something that anybody, I think, uh, could take on board uh, um, as a kind of mantra to hold on to, especially with all that we've been through over the past couple of years as well. Well, where where, uh, The population has been tested uh, in a way that I never really have before, but not since a, sort of wartime, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a whole different thing that where everybody's had a kind of psychological, mental health kind of, yep. battle in so many different ways to deal with with the, with the pandemic, and who knows that the world's such an incredibly uncertain place as well, you know. Yeah. It? it's it's important to have that um, outlook and do what you can with uh, what you have what you have directly in front of
1: you. Yeah. You know? But what I did realise though, Doogie was, I realised through COVID that I'm, I'm a good patient because mm-hmm. I fight for my life, right. right, but I'm rubbish at caring, <laughs> being a carer. Uh, my wife had COVID and, and, and she was very ill and I couldn't cope. <laughs> I, I was a quivering wreck, um, I don't know why, I just, I don't know, it, quite, it was quite traumatic for me and I think it's because I, I think it took me back mm-hmm. to when I was ill. And when I was in intensive care, when Julie was in intensive care, and with COVID, and looking yes, at her... serious case of COVID. Oh, right, my, my, my wife was very, 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 very ill. Um, she's the staff. seen the staff nurse. She was very ill. So it, it was a, a bit of a, a difficult time for me, for the entire family, of course. Um, but my wife's the strongest human being I've ever met in my life. So um, it would take more than COVID to beat her. Um, so she got back to work and she started work again in the same department where she contracted it frankly and, mm-hmm. and is still doing her thing helping others
0: oh, that's good that's good to know as well uh, it was serious and I think now there's a bit of a narrative sort of you know it's like, ah, COVID sort of over and we don't need to worry about it anymore And while I'm kind of of the opinion, yes, we need to move on and live with it, you know, it was serious. Very, very. It was bad stuff in 2020 that we didn't know Mm -hmm. how ill people were going to get. I mean, we still don't know now because it's affecting people in in different ways. You you only need to ask someone who is
1: a mm -hmm. person or a family member that has Mm -hmm. seen somebody affected, you know, to a Mm life-threatening extent. To know how bad COVID is I watched my wife On the Friday night Going from a splutter and a cough To a Saturday not feeling great To the Monday morning When I went in to see her And she could hardly get a breath And the next thing I knew I didn't see her again for Four or five weeks um, Intensive care uh, For two of those weeks um, Just fighting it Trying to stay alive And But she wasn't really ill um, as was my sister, that's another difficult conversation, frankly. Uh, my sister, she was at death's door more than once mm-hmm. uh, with COVID. So, but you're right, there are similarities there in terms of trauma. Mm-hmm. And it's about attitude and perception. Not during your, the ill time, when you're coming out of it, that's when it's hard. That's when, when you're unwell and, and dying potentially, you're kind of in a path that's out with your control, but when you when, once you're out of that and you're walking down that path of convalescence, that's when you've got to make the different, diffi- the the difficult choices. Do I go down the easy route mm. or go down the difficult route? And sometimes the difficult route is the best route. And I've been lucky. I don't know where I got my mindset from. Um, I've just been fighting for you know so many years. You know, I'm still upright. I have to use a wheelchair every day, but I can still walk a short distance now and again. Um, so I'm very fortunate, but the only reason I can do that is because I'm, I keep active. You know, I'm constantly constantly doing something, frankly.
0: Post-retirement. Um, now, we met uh, on account of, um, you had encountered the lorry at Kings. Yeah, it was a motorsport day. Yeah, was. off the back of your involvement with Disability Motorsports Scotland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell us how do you, what what uh, DMS is mm-hmm. and how you how you came to be involved with it and kind of, what they well what they do and how that uh, encounter came about where you you. Became close up with a lorry for the first time because there, <laughs> lor- there wouldn't normally be lorries at that of no, event. No, it was a Kings um Ali, Ali Shaw took his lorry there yeah, yeah. Um, because he's a big car and rally fan, he's got yeah. rally cars plastered all over the side of it and yeah. And he took the Colin lorry. Colin McCain, no less. Yes, no. Colin McCain. So there was a lorry at that event which I guess you wouldn't have been uh, expecting to Absolutely. encounter. Absolutely.
1: Know? I can explain that one to you. Lorry drivers will get this, I think. Um, but well, that'll take you back to the, the DMS uh, part. Um, that was back in two thousand and sixteen. When I retired, I'd only been retired a couple of years, and I was thinking, what am I going to do now? And I bumped into a chap, um, and we were chatting back and forth about motorsport. I've been a petrol head all my life, um, literally since I've been a small boy, uh, particularly Formula One, but rallying as well. Uh, Jimmy McCray, who's DMS's, you know, Disability Motorsports Scotland's p- current patron is Jimmy McCray. We are so humbled and privileged um, to have him as that. Sadly, we haven't seen him for a bit because of uh, the COVID restrictions, etc. But but I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so back in 2016, uh, 2015 actually, but, in real terms, 2016, um, we bought an Audi A3, myself and a group of people, um, and we turned that into basically a race car. Um, and it's fully modified and adapted. Uh, so it has hand controls, uh, things of that nature, steering ball, etc. It's very it's basic stuff, but it works for the pre- predominantly for the most of the people that we work with. So we set up. We set up at Knockhill. We've been to Knockhill. We've been to and um, We've got a lot to happen in 2022, obviously. Um, but to take you back, we've had probably in excess of 300 people in our trusty Audi. Um, our Audi. The first car we ever bought was a three. It's called DMS One. We still have DMS one. In fact, hopefully it'll go into a museum one day. Uh, I would, I would. It's, mm-hmm. if it was a beer, probably be the hardest working beer in the, the place, if you know what I mean. Um, it's had hundreds of people mm-hmm. in it as passengers and as drivers. Our come and try days consist of uh, guests coming along and they have a disability, whether it be physical, psychological, sensory impairment, uh, whatever. And if they have a licence, they get the opportunity to drive the car after some tuition. If they can't drive the car but they would like a passenger experience, then we take them in the, the, the passenger seat and give them a thrill, thankfully. Let them see what's, what, what a race car's capable of doing. And this is a full-blown race car. Uh, Rob Rob Jobson was our uh, chief mechanic. Rob sadly is um, working in other areas at the moment uh, now. But all thanks to Rab and his team, phenomenal. Um, and DMS is still running, DMS1 still running. Um, we're just getting it prepped and ready for this season. Um, and we just give people an opportunity. Again, if you're a disabled person, there's one thing that, that I have found over the last 40 years of being having a disability is the one thing that, that you kind of lose or you think you've lost and you don't think you'll ever get back is adrenaline. And you might think, well, that's not that important. Do you really need it? You need adrenaline to get a fright you need adrenaline to be excited Mm -hmm. and if you're sitting in the house all day every day or just don't feel there's anywhere for you to go then if there's anywhere where you can be taken away from yourself just for a short period it's got to be a good thing Mm -hmm. so we get lots of people coming up and saying i mean they'll come out and this is a t- i'm not casting any aspersions they'll come out of a citroen berlingo mm-hmm. you know with hand controls and then they'll see the race car and then oh so i'll go as a passenger and we're like you got a driver's license of course you have yeah well you're eligible to drive the car and they absolutely we have people we've got you know people giving us quotes and stuff that are, that are very humbling frankly um life-changing mm-hmm you know what I mean as DMS says I'm all one for quotes DMS doesn't just change gears we change lives <laughs> um, but we do we do we have people who don't believe in themselves and then we take them out in the car and they get
0: an opportunity to take a car at full tilt yeah. you know what I mean and absolutely there is some I've not been in a hill for a while but I've done a lot of track days yeah. and there is something really special about coming out the pit lane and just yeah. putting the foot down in yeah. that wide open tarmac Yeah and just knowing that you can just keep going flat out and Absolutely. in a you can't go on the road. There's something really there is. unique about that. It's adrenaline. I don't think it ever gets old either. No, never, never gets old. It's adrenaline. Mm-hmm. But if
1: you can imagine, if you're somebody who's paraplegic mm-hmm. in a wheelchair, because if you're paraplegic, you, you're not able to walk. Mm-hmm. So you're in a wheelchair, your life consists of three miles an hour, maybe a wee bit faster depending on the wheelchair. And then all of, a sudden, all of a sudden somebody gives you the opportunity to sit in a car and the, the coach turns to the driver and says you're in control. Mm-hmm. You have control. They've got to be trusted. The, the coach trusts the driver to listen mm-hmm. and trust the driver to understand the commands. And as long as they understand them and do as they're told, they will have an amazing time. I've had people screaming and just in a a good way you know like OMG that's the best thing I've ever done in my life you know I can't wait to get back and oh my goodness when can I come back and you're right it never gets old our retention rate must be nearly 100% Mm. you know I mean we get the same not the same we get loads of new people coming but there's lots of people who have come who are now members of the, the, the club, the DMS uh, membership, um, just because that thrill never leaves you and you can always learn in a car. You know, you go into a bend and you just got a wee bit too much over, stereo. oh, I should have done this, should have done that. Then once they get the knowledge and the information that we give them, they then understand, you know, opposite lock or trail braking or cadence braking, all the different things. And then they're like, oh, wait a minute, I know how to control this. And that feeling and then mm. we're not supposed to do this, yeah. once they come round the lap, mm. and go, I'm a second faster than I was the last time, really? Oh wow, or two hundredths or whatever. So, I mean, you can hear my enthusiasm. It's just, <laughs> it's just absolutely off the chart, um, off the chart, and we had, DMS had the absolute privilege last year, this year, last year, uh, to be invited by Dave Player one of the, the, as far as I'm concerned, one of the top motorsport team managers uh, in in Britain, if not farther afield. He uh, founded and runs Team Brit and DMS, Disability Motorsport Scotland, had the option to opportunity to go down and test his hand controls in his race cars. And I can't really put words to those hand controls. They are the best thing I've ever seen, frankly. Mm. Uh, it's just so much more intuitive than what we have as a push-pull mm-hmm. hand mm-hmm. control these things pretty much i believe flying. yeah thumb control uh, mm-hmm. throttle up and down hand control for brake and accelerator don't need to feet at all just but the feel that you have in them is incredible mm-hmm. so dms is looking to fundraise shortly um, in 2022 to purchase for first set of Team Brit uh, hand controls, um, and they're looking to get to the lawn. I should say that they're, they're a fully disabled race team, mm-hmm. uh, an, an unbelievable group of men and women. What's they the name are of the team? team Brit team down Boris. in England, um, they are phenomenal. Dave Players, the founder. Um, and I've, I've had the privilege as is my, my, one of our board members Gordon to go down as an invite, an invite to test the hand controls mm-hmm. and to see what, they, what they're like in race cars and it's just beyond words mm-hmm. um, which will take us to our next level um, in 2022 when it comes to racing
0: right, So I mean out of all, this, all the work that you had done with DMS, it eventually led to you being at um, Kames, which is a little motorsport circuit uh, in the west of Scotland, that plays host to one or two shows every year. It kind of has an open day. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. So what was um, what was the build-up? You were there with a chap called Alex Campbell. Yeah. Uh-huh. Who has a rally car. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, well. Uh, if you want to you want to tell the listeners uh, about Alex and how you how you got involved with him and how you you, you came to be at Cames that day.
1: Yeah. Well, Alex um, had contacted. Myself through DMS. Um, DMS is sorry as the abbreviation of Disability support Scotland. Just to save me saying that every time. But but Alex came he gave us a phone call uh, to say, look, are you the guys that can can help me to get my, my rally car back on track? And I said certainly. And I I basically said asked him if what his impairment was so that we could understand what his needs were to see what we could do to support him. He then went on to say that he was blind and. Instantly, of course, most people would go, oh my goodness, how can we go that? Of course, I was like, okay, you're blind. And then I was like, so, are you wanting to be a passenger? What, what are we talking? He said, no, 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 I want to drive my rally car. I want to be on a track somewhere. So rather than go, well, we'd love to help you, but that's something out with our, our knowledge or whatever. I just said, how do we do it? And he said, don't worry about that. I've already sorted that. And I was like... All right, and he said, where do you live? I told him, he told me where he lived, and I thought, okay, so he said, come up for a coffee. Literally, went up to his house for a coffee. Um, Gentleman's blind. He said, come into my garage. So I went into his garage, and there's this cracking mini, uh, half prepped to go and rally, ready for rally. And he said, have a seat in the passenger seat. So I was like, okay. So I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and he's sitting in the driver's seat, and I'm thinking, oh, so I've got a steering wheel. That's right, Colin, you've got a steering wheel, which is linked to his steering wheel. Beautifully fabricated, I mean, top-notch stuff here. And I was like, right. And then he says, what I need you to do is find out a way of making it safe for the passenger to have the steering wheel and help let him drive while well, the passenger's there as a safety mechanism, if you like. And I said, but, but how do you brake? And he said, well, i need you brake. I said, yeah, but you can't see the corner. I mean, what? what? And, I, and then we basically discussed it and we said, we need a brake and a clutch at least in the passenger's footwell. So we then, I was through DMS, we were very lucky to get in touch with He-Man hand controls. They were absolutely, can't describe how brilliant they were. They'd never heard of DMS, but once they knew what we were up to, they said, we'll help you. So they made, then did all the fabrication, then got a fitter to come up to Scotland and fit these controls in the footwell linked up to the driver. And subsequently, Alex has been out in his rally car. Not on an early stage yet mm-hmm. But that welcome I, Trust me, it is happening um, He's been to Crail, He's been to Three Sisters He's booted that car up the runway With a passenger And oh my goodness And just to give you Something to get your teeth into uh, This is nuts He had the car In a very large storage unit With hundreds of cars And his car was in this storage unit and we were going to pick up the Mini to take it to Keynes. this is where I met Ali with the truck. We were taking it to Keynes for him to help him. So we turned up with the trailer and the Range Rover, thanks to Ross, and we were like, oh, we can't get the Range Rover with the trailer down to the far end where the Mini was. So Alex says, I'll take you to the car. And I'm like, okay. So Alex then starts walking mm. without being able to see all the way down to the car. Right. He takes me to the car and I'm like, so how are we going to get this up to the mm. the the Range Rover, which was maybe a couple hundred yards away in this unit, massive big. You've never seen any of the like an air, aircraft hanging. Hundreds of cars in storage. Then he says, we'll do it. That's like, what do you mean, we'll do it and I said, I'll go in the driver's seat I'll use it, he will use the throttle brake clutch and I'll steer it from the passenger side <laughs> and that's exactly what we did he literally started up and I was turning the, the steering wheel and he was I'm going, first gear staying first left a bit, left a bit, right a bit, right a bit yeah, a bit more throttle, bit clutch, bit clutch Bit of thought of brake, break, 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 you know, kind of constantly. And then the bit was we got to the trailer. With Ross's trailer and the, the DMS trailer and Ross's Range Rover. And the minis on the road behind the path be- behind it. So I the door to get out to say, I'm going to get Ross to go and mm-hmm. drive it up. And Alex is like, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. said, We're already in the car. We'll drive on point of the ramp. I'm like, Alex. This is Rossi's new Range Rover. Seriously. But we've got video footage of this. And I'm going to put it on our website. He actually drove that car up onto that trailer to the nearest millimetre. Honestly, it is nothing short of incredible. The man has no limits. It's incredible. And that's what led us to go to... to, We got the car over to to Mm. games that day. It was the... uh, Came's uh, classic motor show, so we, we couldn't get DMS there, so we had uh, we had what, another car, another DMS car, which is Alex's mini, which has got the hand control, which has got um, the dual control for for blind drivers and passengers. So how it came about was we were sitting with the car, and of course. I don't think this happens normally, but there were four or five beautifully. I don't know what you, what's it called, wrapped or graphic, graphics? Airbrush, airbrush, beautiful. Beautiful, absolutely stunning. And there was one of them caught my eye. Now, I had never met Ali. Ali, um, I I didn't know who he was. I didn't know the trucks. When I went by the truck, I was about 20 feet away from the truck and side by side and I kind of carried on. I wasn't looking. I was trying to kid myself that the truck wasn't there. Because to be honest, for the last 40 years nearly, I stayed as far away from trucks as I can. It's not something that you intentionally want to get close to. Genuinely. Um, So I went past it. Don't judge me, I went and got my donuts. And I was coming back in my wheelchair and I saw the truck sitting. And then I noticed it was a Colin McRae truck. And it caught a beautiful airbrush Colin McRae and Jimmy McRae and, you know, triple five and all this stuff and I was like, wow. Don't ask me, because I don't know what happened next. I don't know why this happened. But when I saw the truck sitting, something in me started saying, how did I get under that truck? How could I possibly go under a truck and come out the other side? Don't ask me why. I found myself wheeling myself over to the truck, looking at the front wheel and hugging the front wheel. I put my arms round the front wheel and at this point most people knew me at the car show I'm the fat one-legged bloke in a wheelchair basically so they saw me and thought why is Colin hugging that wheel mm. what is a DMS guy doing hugging that wheel and it was like spiritual for me mm. I don't I can't describe it I just I wasn't really well I didn't think I was anxious until somebody says you okay Colin because I didn't realise the tears were absolutely flooding down my face but I hadn't realised that Um, I don't know why well of course I know why Chris I nearly get killed by a truck but I hugged the truck but unbeknown to me the poor soul Mm -hmm. that was in that truck was Ali and he was in the truck and he'd Mm -hmm. seen all the people obviously and thought why they're on about the truck so he jumped out and saw me and kind of oh what are you doing mate hugging the wheel of the truck and we started chatting Mm -hmm. and i'll be honest i hope he doesn't mind me saying this he was tearful Mm -hmm. i was tearful we felt there was a common Mm -hmm. something i I think truckers are like bikers Mm -hmm. you're a brother and brother and sisterhood there are a lot of truckers that are bikers as well. I'm we sure a lot of, of crossover trucks sure. and bikes. There's, there's a definite, I love it when trucks go by each other and they flash the lights, they, mm-hmm. they peep the horns, bikes do the same. Say, I'm a biker, they do the mm-hmm. same. So I would love to be a truck driver. I, I should have been a truck driver. Even though I've been run over by a truck, that'd be the logical move for me to be get my license to, to drive a truck. But so first there and I was chatting to Ali and that guy, I mean, I can't eat, oh I don't even know. I'll get emotional thinking about him. Um, I don't know what he said would you like to sit in the truck and I was like no 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 you're okay you're mm. okay no I, I thought nah I've touched it that's mm. enough but then I looked up at that the steps I'm thinking even if I could how would I get in it I look at the height here I don't have my leg mm. and of course Ali said we'll help you mm. we'll help you you don't need to get. you don't need to float up we'll help mm. you and I was like should I? Should I? Should I phone my wife? Should I phone Julie and ask her? Should I? I don't know if I should. Maybe I shouldn't. No, I better not. And my mind was racing. And then something just made me think, I'm good at it. I'm sitting in it. I'm doing it. So, I opened the door and then, well, I'm in an electric wheelchair most of the time, right? Well, my manual chair, but I've got an electric chair from my legs worse than that is normally. And it was like angels, <laughs> they all kind of grabbed my bum and leg and kind of helped me, I mean I was—I don't have a leg so I can't mm-hmm. climb up the stairs step to get in like anybody, I've got to hang on with my stump, frankly, got in the cab and completely felt at home mm-hmm. I felt as if I'd always been there didn't have any fear, nothing I was like, what the hell? and then I burst into tears again mm-hmm. but it wasn't fear, mm-hmm. it was just It's taken me 40 years of worry Mm -hmm. about this man, this terrible beast, when in actual fact, it's an inanimate object. Mm -hmm. It's made of metal, steel, and rubber. Mm -hmm. It's the man or the woman driving it that makes it a thing. Yeah. And it sat beside Ali, that gentle giant of a man, and I was like, that guy's absolutely awesome. He's he's let me sit in this truck. He has truck, and by the way, can I just say, I have never experienced a cleaner thing in my life. His truck is cleaner than my house. Not are saying that
0: my wife didn't uh, clean it? it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful bit of kit. For, for anybody that's not familiar with the truck, which well, you probably actually are. It was the cover star. I can't think off the top of my head what truck and driver it was last year, but it was on the cover. It's a Volvo It's a Volvo FH. Um, which runs for five-star vehicle deliveries and of course it has the full yeah. Colin McRae Jimmy McRae it's got Alistair on it full McRae dynasty of rally yeah. drivers airbrushed all over the truck mm-hmm. and True. Ali's involved Ali's involved with organising the Grand Payne Truck Show which takes place 23rd and 24th of April yeah. where trucking drivers going to be at um, and that's looking about a, a really good um, event um, I think there was definitely I, I don't know the stars certainly aligned that day yeah. for him for those trucks to be there that truck in particular because maybe if that truck didn't have the rallying stuff it like it to, you know, if it was just a normal blue truck it might not have given I you think that, you're right. that motivation to go up that Colin okay. McRae
1: I've been a, a fan of Colin and right. Jimmy football well, Jimmy since I was a boy and Colin as I got older mm. um, you know, so to see him in that there was a kind of you know,
0: I, I don't know. I wouldn't like to. See. I was late, I met him last summer as well. I was delighted to meet Jimmy McPhee. Yeah, because Mark and Charlie truck run. Yeah. Uh, of course, still got, well, Mount, and he's still got. I love my old Vauxhalls. He still got Collins Nova. Yeah, they used to Amazing. have back in the day as well. Amazing. He's, I think he's still got his Sierra Cosworth as yeah, well. he has among uh, some other cars. Right? So, I. Uh, it was wonderful to finally meet him and chat away to him as well that day. He's a remarkable
1: man. He's done a lot for DMS um, over the years. Um, it's difficult because obviously Alex, and Max are in Australia, and um, Jimmy, I believe, goes along across a lot. But um, but we hope to catch up with him again. And now that COVID's fingers crossed, kind of in in the rearview mirror, so to speak. Um, but that led to a bonkers thing, um, and I mean bonkers. So after I sat in the truck and was standing in the the concourse at the Cames Motor Show, Ali then hinted to me, do you think you could drive it? And that that just floored me. Mm -hmm. As a petrol head, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: as a petrol head, not as a disabled man. As a petrol head, I was like, are you serious? (laughs) To drive this truck? I couldn't pass that up. And I said I would love to. I didn't have a clue what I would feel like but Ali Shaw Senior gave me the chance to drive that truck at Knock Hill Race Circuit
0: in, in Car Park 2 I think it was it was, um, that was the day because we uh, the photographs because this podcast is going to come out uh, just before the magazine comes out it may well be on sale by the time you're reading this and that has got the feature from that day on that truck in the magazine um, uh, yeah, it was at Knock Hill, he brought the truck along and you you came along and there were some other people from DMS Yeah, as well. and some DMS Yeah, yeah. So you got the opportunity to drive the truck as well mm-hmm. I mean, you, you would have been surprised I mean, modern trucks are in certain ways easier to drive than a car oh, and Incredible The engineering, the luxury and comfort in them is yeah. something else Yeah, you know?
1: And the fact that it was an automatic it made yeah. it totally plausible for me to drive it um, it was the most humbling experience and as I say I don't want to uh, embarrass Ali but you know for him to do that and also I, I cannot you know thank Ali enough but I also cannot thank Not and Stuart Gray uh, for giving us the opportunity to have the clubhouse and also have the car park to do that. It was a beautiful, clear, sunny day, but it was a typical knock-out freezing day. Oh, that was cool. uh, it was Baltic. <laughs> um, so to have the clubhouse was fantastic, and just to have family and friends there, and my DMS fat guys and their families was just incredible. My wife got a chance to drive the truck as well. You know, uh, Ross and Colin got a shot for DMS. It was amazing. I, I, don't, I can't say life-changing, but it just completely completely made me understand, at that point, how worry Mm. and anxiety Mm. will kill you before the actual thing that nearly kills you Mm. in the first place. Because I worried for 40 years that this would be the worst nightmare ever. I'm gonna get hit by another lorry, even if I go and look at it, but that wasn't the case. To get that experience was phenomenal. So if I could could Mm. tell anybody, just don't let that worry regarding your own situation, don't let that worry eat you away. Mm -hmm. You know, confront it, confront the demons. I call them tiny demons. My mental health is reasonable. Uh, I have bad, I still have bad days for lots of different reasons. Anybody that's got children, I know that you have rough days. If you've got children, you worry about things. But um, I've found that my, when I'm in a race car, uh, even that day in the truck, that's what I call high octane mindfulness. Because this truck belonged to somebody else. I can't think about being disabled or paying him a stop or anything when I'm driving that truck. I'll crash it. I've got to make sure I'm, con- I'm in control. So that was an absolutely fantastic opportunity. I am hoping to go to the Grampian Truck Show um, to help Ali and to help all the rest of the truckers that are there. That's going to be di- I hope I can get there. Um, it's going to be a difficult day in some respect because of the it's going to be a busman's holiday for everybody but it's going to be a big day for me to be surrounded by trucks Uh, but the reason I want to go is to help Ali with his road safety campaigning Mm -hmm. you know why did the lorry driver not see me Mm -hmm. well can I tell you something Mm -hmm. for 40 years I've asked myself that question Mm -hmm. why did that lorry driver not see Mm -hmm. us in that motorbike are you kidding Mm -hmm. and then Ali says jump in the cockpit Mm -hmm. so I did Sat behind the steering wheel. He said, look out the front window. Mm -hmm. So I looked out the front window. He said, what do you see? I said, I see the road. Mm -hmm. He said, look directly below. Mm -hmm. And I looked directly below and to the side, and to my shock, Mm -hmm. and I mean shock, there were two cars sitting there. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see them. Literally could not Mm -hmm. see them. So I started thinking pedestrians, bicycles, bikers, motorcyclists, you name it, thinking, O-N-G, give them room. Mm. I mean, give the lorry room. Yeah,
0: you know what I mean? What the... Hmm. A lot of people, it's... I'd seen in a podcast the other week, a lorry drivers actually do a phenomenal job of yeah. um, preventing accidents every yeah. single day because so many people get far too close to lorries yeah, yeah. to bring themselves into, into dangerous into danger. around them because they don't have an appreciation of the blind spots mm-hmm. that you can get into. It has improved enormously from yeah. even 10 years ago. You've got more mirrors on the truck now, mm-hmm. and a lot of time you've got camera systems as well. But the, because of the sheer um, physical nature of the truck, you're always going to have those blind spots. Yeah. And there's a sense the lorry drivers have to be more switched on than ever. There's been There's been controversial changes in the highway code that a lot of people don't like. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. you've got cart blanche to go down the inside Mm -hmm. of Mm anything, which isn't necessarily going to be a good idea. I mean, I I genuinely, I genuinely had no idea, Mm
1: -hmm. having never been in a truck, Mm -hmm. no idea that that was how difficult it was Mm -hmm. for a lorry driver, male or female. Mm. To, to look out and come up to a junction and think mm. potentially there's nothing there mm. when there could be something or somebody or something yeah. directly below them or mm. directly to the side. I uh-huh. can't believe that so hopefully when I, hopefully if I get to the, the truck show I'm going to be demonstrating that uh-huh. in helping Ali to, to show that and I mean I'm the evidence mm. when, it, when, it's, when you're not seeing yeah. of mm. what can happen that, my injuries are consistent with a bicycle Mm. Truck, uh, motorcycle, truck, car, truck, mm-hmm. anything where you can get trapped. This kind of injury can happen. So don't think you're um, mm-hmm. uh, you're immune because you're in a car
0: or yeah, something else. You're not. Yeah, there's a false sense of security with modern vehicles because yeah, they're so quiet. Cocooned, yeah. yeah, you're cocooned in it, and that goes for every class of vehicle now, from small cars up to vans. Mm-hmm where you're just people are more and more insulated for things going on yeah you know you've got big screens you've got multimedia going on and you just you don't really take into account what's going on and there's so many near misses every single day yeah and it's all about if you're there a second later then it could have been very different I there's got be a certain amount of like sort of uh positivity and a kind a of motivational aspect to yeah educating drivers and things as well you can People feel that they're constantly getting beaten beaten with a stick, you know, to go and do things. And there needs to be that sort of positivity and practicality and messaging. And I think that's what you do really well in getting across with what you do as well. I Um, mean, I I
1: think that there's been a number of campaigns over the years. I know there are a number of campaigns still going, but I was thinking the other day there of a a campaign called Truck Safe. mm -hmm. I don't know if there is such a thing as Truck Safe, but that to me, I mean, I'm, getting, I'm 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 middle aged now. Uh-huh. I still live with the trauma of what happened to me when I was a teenager, and I was thinking of truck safe. It just came into my mind that I used to do bike safe, for instance, so with we, we, we Strathclyde places It wasn't the time, but bikers are, are a different scenario. But trucks, there's got to be there's got to be a way that trucks can be made safer for truck drivers. So that they can understand other road users as well, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Yeah. You know, and, and what I mean by that is I don't think enough of the members of the public get close enough to a truck. Can I tell you mm-hmm. that it must be three months since we've been to that truck and my family still talk about that truck? They still say, do you remember? Did you see the amount of steps to get into it? Did you see the two cars in front of the truck that we could not see? So if my family's still talking about it, that tells me that there's an interest there with members of the public. So that there's so many trucks in the road. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a way that you can all come together with a Truck Safe campaign and and f- f- help People, pedestrians, and others to understand how difficult it is for a driver in a truck mm-hmm. to see everything that's happening all the time, mm-hmm. and it's it's everybody's job. Yeah, it's everybody's
0: job to save me from going through this yeah. again. And, and yeah, it's a collective response. It's a collective it's a collective response. from everybody. And it's kind of it definitely feels lately like that when I moved to Wiltshire, we're just going to whatever's bigger. That's getting one hundred percent of the blame for this. Yes. Yeah. Um, which, is a da- which is a dangerous route to go down because you, if you're absolve, absolving, absolving people with any responsibility, then they're more likely to go and take unnecessary risks because they think they're always going to be in the right. Absolutely. So there, there's definitely work to get done there. There are routes, some good and not necessarily popular courses that have been brought in, the quarry uh, products um, mm-hmm. industry. Uh, with tippers and things and brought things in where they get pe- they take people out and put them on bikes which isn't um, they put yeah. the bike right truck drivers on bikes but they don't necessarily it's hard to get members of the public or cyclists to get in a truck mm-hmm. to have all the good things from the other point of view as well yeah. uh, but, but but it's done in kind of pockets here and there it's not rolled out sort of universally so everybody's seeing it and getting it yeah it, it, well I can
1: tell you in this podcast right now if there's any trucker out there, any group of truckers out there that want to talk to me want me to give a a talk about being I don't want to say a victim uh, but being an injured person from a truck crash Mm -hmm. then speak to Dougie because I'm there I'll be there Um, because I know for a fact that uh, I've been speaking to bikers for years they don't generally forget me Mm -hmm. (laughs) not because I'm good looking fat one legged, (laughs) it's because um, my story is pretty in your face, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, and when when they say, I, "Well, I don't want to pay money for the leather gear or the protective gear," and but like, well, You can have legs like mine if you want. Mm-hmm. You know, they're no longer thinking. All oh, right, and mm-hmm. that's the same. We, 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 Complacency is the worst mm-hmm. scenario mm-hmm. for road users, regardless of your mode of transport, mm-hmm. whether you're walking, cycling, motorcycling, truck, car, whatever. Complacent, you know, the radio's going. You're singing away, you're thinking of your dinner, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You do just, the same thing every, single, every day. single day. So you expect the same thing mm-hmm. to happen every single day. It's only when it just changes in an instant and you're not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. That's when the S hits the fan. Mm-hmm. And as I say, at a, second, a mistake happening in a second can last somebody a lifetime. It's literally, I will die being the way I am. I will not get better. But, I'm still living a life, a good life. It's
0: an inspirational story, for, for sure, to come out the other side of something like that and achieve so much. Um, it's, uh, you know. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast and taking the time to tell your story. I hope it's um, always been an interesting listen for everybody out there. You know, kind of thought provoking uh, about a lot of things as well. You know, and um, nobody goes to work looking to yeah. to do any, to to hurt anybody in any way or kill somebody or anything like that. But unfortunately, yeah. it still it still does happen. Um, and people, you know, you don't really give th- thought a lot of the time the fact that you're moving forty four tons. You know, trucks are so efficient absolutely. they're so efficient at doing it now mm-hmm. it's not like the older ones where it's like a big climb up the gears and things and the, the, the brakes are so much better than modern ones and the, the safety features are so much better but you still need to be sort of switched on and it's, a, it's that avoiding complacency and just having that you know thought process yeah, and thinking, at, thinking ahead and keeping on, keeping on top of things so you know well thank you very much for, the, for, for that yeah, done. Done now and write the article up for that as well and um, just uh, what have we, what's the next steps going forward in 2022 for for dms
1: well dms we're doing quite a lot of restructuring um we have a brand new website and uh, so please if you have an opportunity go onto our new website www.disabilitymotorsport.com and um, please like our facebook page um, just type in Disability Motorsports Scotland, it's the only thing that will come up. Uh, and please like and follow. Um, in fact, we're nearly at 2,000. If anybody can get, whoever becomes the 2,000th person, if I can find out who that is, then they can get a shot in the race car (laughs) if if I can find out who you are Um, so please go on to our website please go on to Facebook if you've got a member of your family or a friend who has an impairment, disability vision impairment, hearing impairment, paraplegia whatever uh, please don't hesitate info at disabilitymotorsport.com is an email address address. you can go on to that and just say hi Colin uh, whatever and I'll get back to you and we'll try and organise a date for your your loved one or whomever to come along uh, and have a shot. DMS is the most incredible thing I've ever been involved in. um, And I think truckers, DMS, we're all the same. Um, So for all the rockers out there that drive trucks, get your motor running and
0: uh, keep on trucking. What more can I say? Thank you, Dougie. Thank you very much. um, And I shall hopefully catch up with you again soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Truck & Driver podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To keep up to date with the latest news, 100% for drivers, visit truckanddriver.co.uk, where you can also subscribe to the print edition of Truck & Driver magazine, which publishes on the last Friday of every month. The Truck & Driver podcast is produced by Sound Rebel. To find out more, please visit soundrebel.co.uk.